Hello and welcome, dear listeners, to the Odd Job Pod. As we head underwater for a thrilling adventure, as it we recycle all the greatest hits from James Bond, and it's only four films into the franchise. Yes, we have reached the Connery Appreciation series with Thunderball, um, or as I like to call it, the Great Rights Shark, of which I'm sure we will get into later um, when we start talking about or the mess that it started causing in terms of never say never again and beyond that. Because, hey, you've come here to listen to about a podcast about a film and we're probably going to go in depth into legal battles between Hollywood um, moguls. But that's what you come here for and that's what you listen to us. Aren't I right? Graham Sibley and Terry DeFallon. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes you're right. <laughs> sometimes you're a bit mistaken. But, um, you know, it's <laughs> strange times we're living yes. in. It is indeed strange times. Yes, indeed. I'm 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 looking forward to getting down and 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 legal, you know, with 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 Thunderball. Yes, and or illegal, or <laughs> probably illegal, or you know, <laughs> borderline abusive. You know, that would probably be for your eyes only. <laughs> Um, gentlemen, we, we obviously have just come off the uh, the biggest highs uh, that we can have of, of from Rush With Love, widely um, acknowledged by this podcast, at least, or other podcasts may have different opinions. They're probably wrong that from Rush With Love, uh, greatest Bond film ever, and then Goldfinger, which is obviously a wonderful entry into the canon. Um, and Graham, then you come to Thunderball. Is this an anti-climax or is it just um unfortunate that it comes after a couple of incredibly strong films that is the real question about thunderball isn't it and i think it's it sits on the shoulders of 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 goldfinger you can tell it does and you can tell it was a film that came out afterwards and was meant to be a follow-up to it how successfully it does that i think we're going to go over during this whole podcast and i think we're going to keep on referring back to goldfinger and from russian with love throughout it um because that's what the viewers of the film would have done they would have got into that with huge anticipation this this film would have been they they wouldn't have they wouldn't have cared about the whole legal wrangles and everything. All they would have seen is the posters, the beautiful women, Sean Connery, and thought, "Great, I got another two hours of the stuff that I got in, in Goldfinger." And well, whether or not you you prefer your Bond to be like Goldfinger or whether you prefer it to be like uh, from Russia with Love, this film is not like that. There's lots of things about this. There's lots of good strong bond in in this film but uh it's it's perhaps not the best put together film it's interesting in ways and some bits are just dull but overall it's not a terrible film with we know terrible bond when we see it this is not terrible but there are things about it that that don't sit well aren't engaging and are just confusing at, po- at points as well. I think so. Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting mix. But I think there there's so much in the background of it. It's no wonder that it doesn't come across as well as the previous two films did. Well, Terry, it, it's certainly a film that, as Graham said, audiences certainly didn't mind because until Skyfall came along, um, found found it was the the highest grossing Bond film. It was a it was a film that uh, apparently they movie theaters were open through the night to accommodate demand for it, which probably shows you how just how good and successful Goldfinger was. But then also, I would imagine that uh, if you were a, a, a kind of teenage boy who just seen goldfinger and you saw thunderball you're like wow james bond underwater this is going to be amazing you, you can see why why audiences would have flocked to thunderball potentially in the same way that audiences flocked to spectre off the back of skyfall yeah exactly i, I mean i think you, you kind of answered the question yourself it, it, it's it is a reflection on the success of goldfinger that there was just so much anticipation because people were understandably uh, and correctly uh, thinking that they were going to get much more of the same um, from Thunderball. And in, and in very many significant ways, they, they do get more of the same um, from from Thunderball. Um, the, the, the difference is that the movie doesn't have Thunderball, Thunderball doesn't have Goldfinger's charm. 
it lacks Goldfinger's humour, um, and and the plot is not as tight, not as well put together as Goldfinger's. One of the big criticisms of Goldfinger's plot is that actually James Bond is a little bit too passive in that movie. Well, maybe there's an argument to say that that's how it should be, uh, because it's one of the best James Bond films ever made. Um, so, uh, and 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 that can't be said. Um, of, of Thunderball, but I do uh, I, I do feel that that it was a movie that's gone got even more budget, allowed itself to be even more ambitious, quite rightly so. Can Can Adam not quite got his underground volcano, but you could definitely tell he's getting he's getting there, but maybe became a little bit too top heavy um, with its ambitious sets and production values and and special effects, physical physical effects as as they are and, and locations. Um, and that maybe that affects affects the movie's pace, um, but but shouldn't and doesn't affect the 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 charm and the humour and the and the snappy dialogue of the movie that is of of of, of its predecessor, which is largely missing um, in Thunderball. So essentially, what you're saying is it's lost its charm. <laughs> Not very much from where I'm standing. <laughs> yes, Graham. Let's sort of ask the question outright because we've. We've mentioned Thunderball and we've referred to it a lot and it generally is accompanied by a bit of a sigh. And you, you kind of started, this, you alluded to it in your first answer. So let's put this on the table. Is Thunderball actually a bad film? It's not a film I choose to watch. Uh, I've watched it twice now in the last year and both occasions were because, uh, well, one occasion was for this conversation and the previous was because i was doing a complete watch through so i felt compelled to watch it it's not a film i pick off the shelf which is always a a a sign for me that it's not a bond film that i think personally is one i enjoy so does that mean it's not good well for me yes i guess it does but i there are worse films there are worse bond films in the franchise yeah, this doesn't exist in the top ten, as far as I'm concerned. This doesn't exist in the top fifteen, as I'm con- as far as I'm concerned. But then again, I think very few Bond films are actually bad. So it's on the cusp. It could easily be bad. Mm. It, 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 but the, uh, there are things in it that I just think are bad. Um, but as a whole, no, there is the, the, there's far too many things in it that are good Bond for me that 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 save it that that actually thinks yeah actually i really enjoy this or bits that have been taken and pastiched and parodied as well which is something we go back to a lot don't we um which do make me laugh do have that little bit of humor but terry's right the script itself has pretty much zero humor in it as well so that that really that that really means for me that it's it it sits lower down in the rankings whether it that makes it bad I don't know. It's it's personal taste, isn't it? Do you think it's because already you could? I mean, from my perspective, I could see it. Um, they're already starting to recycle a lot of the ideas and tropes and and kind of cues and even plot lines and and, and elements of that that Bond does quite frequently. But this is the fourth film in the franchise, and they're already harking back to some bits that they've done before. Yeah, I guess so. I guess the, the, by the time you four film films in, things are going to start getting to be a bit repetitive. But then you do see developments, like with Q. So you you see that we've seen Q develop as a character throughout the the three films that he's been in, uh, and and he gets a lovely little little cameo in this, and and that is something that goes on throughout the films because this is the fourth film. And I think a lot of our conversation about the last one, uh, about Goldfinger, about it set in the mould, and also as well what you said about about this one being so incredibly popular, was the fact that okay, we've got our franchise now. Let's do it. Let's let, let's just give people what they want over and over again. And of course, you're going to get that with using the same people, uh, bringing them back or uh, mixing and matching people. But having a core there of the same sort of production uh, staff, but of course in this one you'd have a different producer, don't you? Um, and I think that's one thing that, that that Thunderball does have is it does have quite a few tropes in there that it introduces as well that are carried through in the 
the films and also in the parodies and the pastiches as well that that, that, that follow. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it does have the tropes, but I think that's because it is now in the groove. We're now in the groove of what a Bond film is. We know what to expect We all the way, all the way through. And so... I I think there is it, yes it, there are tropes in this but then it is now part of the of the franchise isn't it it's not just a couple of films at the beginning which are finding their way this is where we are in the groove on a lot of things well people like John Barry are in the groove Ken Adam is <laughs> is building up his groove quite substantially um and we've got Sean Connery who is extremely comfortable in his role now perhaps a little too comfortable yes to, to the point of there there is there are points where where sean god rest his soul does look a a little too relaxed shall we say on on screen um terry i mean graham's kind of said that you know they're into their groove into here um one small thing that that's kind of interesting at, at any rate is that um this is not a Guy Hamilton film. This is back to, to Terence Young, who did the first two. And there is part of me that wonders, given just how well Hamilton had, had nailed um, Goldfinger, how it would have been had he also been actually decided to take up on Thunderball, although he also made Diamonds of Forever as well. So, you know, it could have gone either way. Diamonds Off River is a few years down the line, isn't it? And at which point I think we're probably thinking the franchise is probably a little bloated and having lost some direction, having lost its main lead and having to recast the character uh, with a new actor. Uh, So I I think we can give Guy Hamilton something of a pass for that. Um, I I think that it's impossible to say, isn't it? It's a sliding doors thing, isn't it? Um, But I think that, it's reasonable to assume that the director of Goldfinger, had he had the chance to direct Thunderball, would have tightened that movie up quite a lot. I think a few sequences might have been shortened, and there may have been there may there may have been some different choices. The, the, some of the action sequences in this movie are just simply below par, and they just do not hold up. They're just they're just not good. That they mm. were probably okay and acceptable at the time. Um, but they just simply do not hold up now. And the, at, particularly at the very end of the movie, at the very end of the movie, I'm not talking about the underwater fight sequence, which is amazing, but the 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 the, 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 the boat chase at the end is silly um, and unconvincing and checks me out of the movie every single time, uh, which is just as well because it's about to end. So it's a good time for me to be checked out of the film. Um, but I mean, it, it's there's, and I don't think Guy Hamilton would have been able to have done anything about that because those were in the script and that was what was going to be happening. He might have handled it differently, um, but but I, I think it's reasonable to assume that the film would have been a little better uh, with mm. with Guy Hamilton. But I mean, it is worth bearing in mind again. I mean, we're not, we're not talking cigarette papers here, but you know, the, to to answer the earlier question. This is not an objectively badly made film, apart from the badly made bits that I've just referred to. It's a good, it's a good James Bond adventure. Uh, it is also, you could probably say, it's the first James Bond adventure in that it is the first film in which they go right. We now have the established template of a James Bond film, and we're going to deploy it ruthlessly for the next. <laughs> Ten movies, <laughs> starting with this one, um, and 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 that's perhaps where it shows. It is difficult to watch this movie from an, an entirely fresh perspective. Of the, of the ones that I've seen so far, this is, was the hardest movie to watch from a from a fresh perspective, as though I had never seen it before. Mm, Graham, um, I think is it fair to say that this is a movie that could have done with better editing? Certainly. Um, I know Peter Hunt has gone on record to say that he he was rushed with the editing. And if, in fact, the, the film was uh, released three months later than it was scheduled to be released. I think it was it was due to be released in the September of 65 rather than the December. Uh, but it, it looks rushed. Um, and there are things in there directorially that, that just 
don't give the editor any any help either. I think. Um, the, I, I think as well a lot of the 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 action sequences and there, there's a hell of a lot of undercranking in 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 this and 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 we expect that a lot in sixties Bond films, but in this one it's just used over and over again. Yeah, you could say that the editing is bad in this, but I think it's let down by the by the screenplay. And and also the fact that that some of the action sequences in there just don't convey a lot of action in them. The screenplay for me has too many bits in it where it's relying on on little snippets of information thrown in to to keep you up to speed as to what's going on, um, like the or or little visual cues like like the little tattoo on the hand to try and keep you going and say oh that's him doing this and that's why he uh, bond can can justify putting the the the, the broom handle through 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 the uh through the handles of his sweat box they, and and a lot of the time there is this the thing of well that's just a bunch of stuff that happens i think like that scene is most memorable for me is perhaps when that that car chase where where Bond where you think it's going to become just like a regular car chase black car zooms up behind him and uh, he's got a gun and he's going to try and shoot Bond through his bulletproof car and okay and and but then all of a sudden that that changes it twists because you got the the motorbike comes along and shoots it off the road it was for ages for me that I thought what's actually gone on there why 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 is this why has this happened and and it and it's just like little tiny throwaway lines that, that build up to it uh, that you, you only really get on second viewing. And I wonder if you were just someone in the, in the cinema, you just watched it and just let it flow over you. Oh, this is just Bond stuff. We'll find out what happens about that. But it's just little things like that that seem to pile up in this film. Mm. There's lots of things like that, of, of situations where... Uh, they are meant to 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 weave intrigue, but in the end, you just don't care about them because you just you don't instantly think, oh, oh, I wonder what's going on there. Oh, yeah, this this is really dragging me into the, the to this real to this to this massive web. You're just thinking, all oh, right, well that's ha- that's happening. I don't really know what's going on there, but uh, it may be important, but I doubt it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Terry, you Graham's kind of touched on on the bit there that it was rushed. Um, or certainly bits of of the film were rushed through. Um, Part of me was wondering, and I think this is very much in your area, how much this might have been in connection with the fact that nine months earlier, you had a very intriguing film, or a film that is full of intrigue in the Ipcris files, which coincidentally actually had the same editor and some of the same producers on board. And after, you know, three bonds, you've then got... The Ipcris Files, which um, sandwiches Thunderball, uh, sorry, Goldfinger and Thunderball. And we've seen Bond kind of react or move move around um, some other cultural moments um, or, or films that have had cultural resonance within there. And there's part of me that's wondering how much is this playing on the minds of, of people who are trying to get the film to market potentially a little bit quicker than it uh, it needed to be? Hmm. Interesting. I mean, they're both spy movies and they're both obviously, as you say, have a huge crossover, not least of which is Harry Saltzman. But they are, for me, they're going for two quite different markets. Um, Thunderball is, well, Thunderball is going for the same market of the Icarus file because Thunderball is going for all the markets. It wants <laughs> all the adults. It wants them all. It wants everybody alive to watch this film. Icarus <laughs> file knows that probably this is going to be watched by a certain a certain market a certain demo um to use that hideous term um and 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 pitches itself accordingly um i i, I don't I, I, the question you asked me it's never occurred to me that at all and i can't really see um any kind of correlation i don't think that thunderball would have felt threatened by the Ipcris file i think it's possible it might have felt informed a bit and gone well this interesting the reaction that we got from this movie, maybe they like things to be downplayed a little bit more. I wonder whether or not the development of um, Fiona Volpe might have had some genesis from the Ripcris file because Jean's character, although albeit very brief, is quite strong um, and independent and, and, and ambiguous as well um in, in in that film. And maybe they might have seen the reaction for that and gone, oh, maybe we we should try and boost her. Um, 
uh, a, a female character who is a bit strong, albeit a femme fatale and a bad guy, but a bit a bit stronger. I mean, she's brilliant in this, and also she she also is she helps to introduce what the, the rare surprises that are in this movie, or, or would have been surprises um, in 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 this movie, because when Bond feel because there is a moment when it does appear that the film is trying to convince the audience that Bond has con, has seduced um, Fiona and converted her. Um, and that doesn't appear to be the case. And I would suggest that perhaps contemporary audiences might have been a bit surprised by that because in the previous film, that, that trick worked, that tactic worked. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bond sedu- uh, pr- uh, converted Pussy Galore in more ways than, than one on, on, on more than one level. Um, amazingly, astonishingly, really. Um, um, and but, 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 and, and indeed, when she turns up, on the motorbike to completely ruin what was shaping up to be a really, really good Aston Martin chase. Uh, I wonder how that went down as well on, 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 in front of that. So that's, that's, that's an interesting thing, but I can't, I can't really see any kind of, um, of, of any kind of connection with the Ipcris file, but I'm always delighted to have the opportunity to talk <laughs> about the Ipcris file because it's my favorite film. <laughs> it, it seems like it was, again, too good an opportunity to pass up to let you <laughs> at least throw in an Ipcris-Fail question. But in terms of the, um, Graham, just sticking with with the kind of intrigue in there, um, we talk a lot about you know what type of Bond film it is from the start. And there's a lot that you do have to wrap your head around in there. And again, part of me is wondering that you have got this, this other spy film that's there. And we know how much Bond does kind of borrow. And I just wonder if, um, if as somebody like Andy Townsend might sell, they've intrigued it a little bit too well. <laughs> if anything, Clive. <laughs> if anything, Clive. He's intrigued that a little <laughs> too well. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I must say, Bob Simmons has wonderful pins, doesn't he? <laughs> That's one thing we learn from the opening yes. sequence, yes. isn't it? Better than Charles Gray, at any rate. And of course, this is this is of course where we get the Austin Powers buzzer out, isn't it? Because uh, <laughs> that's it's a, a man, man baby. baby. <laughs> Austin, that's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Which is entirely based on this scene, isn't it? It's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Um, but yeah, ridiculous. The fact that he be- he beats him back. Not only does he beat him back to 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 his house, but he manages to to squirrel away a jetpack for him to make his escape for the the two hundred feet to where his car is. On waiting. the roof of his house as well. He gets back to the roof of that guy's house and then goes up there with his jetpack, stashes it there, comes back down again. It's almost that- like the effort. If somebody yeah. went to the effort of I don't know, like putting a coffin in a gondola in Venice <laughs> and getting somebody to throw a knife at them and then trying it's, to shoot it's, them. It's bloody close. It's bloody. And, and as well, I, I love the way that they that they very neatly put the jet back in the back of the car. You know, let's go, no, 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 we're not going to leave this here. Yeah, it's, not, it's an expensive <laughs> piece of kit and it doesn't belong to them, uh, apart from everything else. <laughs> it, it, it's, I, I mean, I've got no problem with that, by the way. Absolutely no problem with that. It's a good scene. It's a very, very enjoyable scene. And yeah. you know, oh, it's a very yeah. enjoyable scene. It's very, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love the movies where they, where they, where they steal rocket fuel laden sh- space shuttles off the back of jumbo jets. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all on board with that. <laughs> all on board with that. So, I mean, it, that that's good. And, it, and it, I mean, that, that's another example, I think, of how the movie, despite the fact that it's got, it's all of its trope ducks in a row is trying to tweak it slightly to surprise the audience to say, look, you know, this is not, this is just like the last James Bond film, but we're going to throw a couple of curveballs your way just to surprise you. You know, we'll deny you that DB5 chase that, you know, James Bond doesn't, you know, convert the, the bag, the bad girl, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, that old woman over there is in fact a man, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, terry you where do you go from here number two um terry i was um i was also wondering as well because this was um from my understanding of thunderball anyway this was uh a a book 
if you will, or that actually started as a screenplay and, and actually was the genesis of uh, of much of the, the legal wrangling that, that followed with um, and that culminated in, in Never Say Never Again. But how much do you think this kind of shows that unlike um, Dr. No and From Russia With Love and Goldfinger, which were adapted from the source, this film is one that was intended as a as a screenplay and then became a book and then made it back to the screen again. And I, I don't know about you, but it kind of does feel like there is, there are elements in here that do feel broad brush that, that you can see how this film has come into Genesis in a slightly different way to, to its predecessors. It's an interesting sort of like clash really, isn't it? Because it, yeah, it was clear, it was, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, it's like, I've written these James Bond books. They're really popular. I'd like to write a screen treatment. I'll hang out with this geezer. Is it? I think he wrote it with McClory. I think didn't he? The the the, the screen treatment, and then he adapted it for as a novel when the the movie didn't materialise. Um, only for it then to then be adapted. So it's an, it's it's it feels like it's a sort of second or third generation VHS copy. Um, <laughs> looks like it at times as well. And maybe maybe there's some 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 inherent problems there in that 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 it's lost something in its subsequent transfer. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think it is worth bearing in mind that the genre of high production value, high quality action movies is really young at this point. There aren't many of these kind of movies around. They make you know they make big action movies a lot nowadays and and have done for decades this was one of the one of the, not one of the originals but um, among the first um i mean going back to sort of like you know hitchcock's kind of like north by northwest and stuff like that and 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 these kind of movies you know there's an awful lot of moving parts to it it's technically they're hard to make um and and it was very ambitious and i think that that's probably at the heart of the of the of the difficulties most of the difficulties with this movie rather than anything to do with the original source material. I mean, the book is an enjoyable read. Um, and it's, I, if I remember rightly, I don't think it deviates horrifically too much as you would expect. Um, uh, but it is very filmic and it is ironic that, uh, that this, that the story that was, that was conceived to be a movie actually has turned out to be one of the more, one of the less remarkable of the James Bond movies. Mm. Uh, Graham, you you do wonder that um, if they if Fleming had known, um, and probably if um, Broccoli and Saltzman had known what was going to to come from Thunderball and the the original McClory script, whether they would have just gone, maybe we might just pass on this one, eh? Yeah, it, uh, there, there is this whole feeling of obligation about the film, isn't there? And and Terry's right, the 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 the, the action genre is is in its is largely i don't say it wouldn't say it's in its infancy but it's certainly in a pivotal moment because during the 60s most action film most what we would call action films were war films uh so highly militaristic and you get a lot of that in thunderball there's lots of of familiar cues in there that you will see in in war films uh so uh, yeah, I think it's too many cooks on this, or, or there's too many rewrites in this, and and this is obviously an inherent problem where you've got lots of writers who have who bring ideas to a story and and think like this is the most important aspect of this story, and I think that's what is one killer thing about Thunderbolt. You don't really get what is the most important thing about this. Is it just James Bond? finding a couple of nuclear weapons okay that's 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 a good story um they've there are so many characters in this uh that you don't really get any sort of sympathy for them i think or or you don't identify with any of their characters in them which considering what you had in the previous film with complex characters like goldfinger and pussy galore Pussy Galore, who in in the in the film is perhaps more complex than she is in the book, and uh, I, I I think you 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 are missing something with this the the fact that it's not been reimagined it's just been rewritten for 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 the screen and uh, and I think maybe that is 
where the problems arise. But I, I think more, it's more, more the case that it's a different boss in charge of this one. And I think it's just that leadership there from McClory in this leads this film, even though it's got all the same production team of the same and, and the same cast leads it into a different direction and it leads it away from slightly away from, from where we've gone in the previous films. Mm, I mean, Terry, we, we've done a podcast on never say never again, which I think we, we all probably enjoyed more than we thought we had. Um, was that the film that should have been made potentially? Yeah. Never say never again is a better film. Um, uh, not necessarily because technically it's 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 better. I mean, you could because you can you can make comparison, you can make relative comparisons with those movies on a technical basis and still determine whether you think a movie is better made. Um, I think that Never Say Never Again for its eighties level of sort of technical ability plus its relatively modest budget. I think aside from a few dodgy horse moments it is a is a very very good engaging action film and there's just so much effervescence to the characters as well i mean i think largo i think is probably the one that sticks out i mean i mean klaus maria brandauer's maximilian largo is just a force of nature is a joy to watch captivates the screen and the moments that he enjoys with connery are just fantastic um Emil Largo, Adolfo Celli is a fantastic actor, and I really like Emil Largo. Emilio Largo, I, I, I think I think I I may have batted for him during the World Cup of Bond villains. I can't remember, but but I, 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 he is denied um, his proper place. I think in this movie, um, uh, and it's not the actor's fault. And he does he does his absolute best. Uh, him and the voiceover actors as well, Robert Wrighty, who must be acknowledged as well. Had done their absolute best, and the moments between him and Connery are some of the highlights of the movie. But they are incredibly rare. Um, not, not, and, and there's, you know, it, it, and it's, it's, it's another error of judgment in this movie is that the relationship between the chief villain and James Bond is not sufficiently exploited. I like to think they probably learned lessons from that because it is very clear to me. Mm. And so, Graham, there's one thing that seems to come into my my head from the last few sort of minutes of, of chat that we've had, which is that Thunderball isn't a bad film, but it commits almost what is a cardinal sin in the James Bond world in that it's a little bit dull. Yeah, and I, I think it, it goes back into that whole thing of what I said before about about the fact is you don't care about what happens, and I think as soon as you as soon as you 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 check out of events in a film, or as soon as that the, they 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 don't hold any meaning for you, or or you don't choose to to give them any meaning, then that's when the dullness arrives, and of course there are protracted sequences in this film that are meant to be action packed but just go on for far too long. Um, that's not the reason that this is dull. The reason this is dull is because a large for large parts of it, you don't care about the people involved in it. Mm. And Terry, that's a bit of a shame as well, especially when you look at the cast that and and the you know the the, act, the lead actors as well, who are all incredibly engaging. Somehow you've got a film which is just a little less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, no, no, de- no question. I think that for me, the, the, the best example of that is the carnival chase, um, which, I mean, if you hold that up against the, uh, the similar pursuit that goes on in On a Majesty's Secret Service when Bond escapes from Pete's Gloria, um, when he re- retreats down to the Christmas festivities. And, you know, the, there's, there's genuine tension in that, in, in, in that sequence, whereas there's none whatsoever in Thunderbolt. And a lot of it is obviously, unfortunately, direction, bluntly, um, and probably editing as well, just film craft, and, and, and just one is better done than the other. But a lot of it, I think, also at this point, is, is there doesn't seem to be, you know, I don't, as, a, as an audience member, I don't really feel engaged with any of these characters, including James Bond, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, don't, I think that Sean Connery, is a, obviously, he's a brilliant actor, and he, has his gra- and he has some great moments in this movie, but I, but, but I, it, because there's no life to the script, you know, it's very, very difficult to sort of like, you know, feel engaged. And he's James Bond. I mean, like, what's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? It's really more of a question of how does he get out of this one rather than will he get out of this one? And 
then ultimately the answer to the question is, oh, I don't really care. <laughs> As Grant says, how <laughs> so it gets out of this one, I just know that he will. And yeah, obviously, yeah, having seen it multiple times, we know we know what's going on. And there's just there's just little, there's not much there to sort of like celebrate, you know, in that scene. I mean, that whole portion of the film is just just draws out. I mean, it happens actually in the space of a short, small, small, few small, a few short hours. He takes Domino to the Junkanoo. And then he leaves, goes, has a fight with some guys at Largo's place, escapes the sharks, comes back, you know, sleeps with Fiona, goes back to the carnival, kills Fiona. And then, you know, and all of this, there's, there's an awful lot going on there in what's actually supposed to be a relatively short space of time. And, the, and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit well, I mean, I, I, it just, it's just not terribly convincing. And yet, as Graham points out, the undercranking in this in this film and the green screening is really, really toe curling, difficult to watch. Um, and, and I don't, I'm not even certain that I would have had that in the in the in the 1960s. I mean, that would have just looked like a Keystone Cops film to me. <laughs> I, Graham, one, one of the things, and this is a question that I, or a point that I will raise, and I think I I, I consistently raise throughout the podcast as well, which is um, imagine another Bond in there. But I I felt watching Thunderball again, just how much I was missing Roger. And I think this would have been a much better film potentially with Roger Moore in because Thunderball almost, there's very little levity and humour in there. Um, and much as I love Connery and, and still probably prefer Connery as a Bond to, to Moore, this is one film that really, really needs that lightness of touch that somebody like Moore would potentially bring to, to a film like this. Yeah, I would I would say so. He he's certainly the 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 lightest of touches as far as the bond is concerned, and and you want to feel like there is a good film trying to get out of of Thunderball, and and yeah, so it it does lend itself to 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 recasting in certain positions, but I I still come back to the fact that you don't care about anyone else, and maybe there would have been a different a different uh interaction between him and and other cast members it when i when i think about more in thunderbolt i try to think well what would that make this more like and would this make it and and i think it would make it probably more like for your eyes only than that sort of level if they if if you're saying what's what's more's equivalent of thunderbolt i that's what i would say is there but but i think for your eyes only is a much better film and you know it, it that's not one of the greatest ones out there would he have brought a bit more humor yes but then we would have needed more more script changes to accommodate <laughs> it and man alive i think this already had too many already don't you think the, the scenes with money penny the scenes in the absolutely beautifully wonderful conference room that completely unnecessarily ostentatious conference room which is just a triumph <laughs> of ken adam absolutely <laughs> gorgeous um but i mean really i mean like completely unnecessary conference room and the high chairs and oh, that's be- high back chairs the the uh- and 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 the the the, the mojou of that of that of of that scene is that thirty foot screen, that thirty <laughs> foot panel that pulls up to go for them to say, well, we haven't got a bloody clue. <laughs> it could be anywhere here, map of half the world. It could be anywhere here, and then it just goes again. It's it, it's it's so extravagant. It's ostentatious. It's brilliant. It is brilliant, and it's signature classic Bond, and 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 is one of the great moments of the movie. Um, yeah, that is by no way a no, negative no. of this film. It is a big, big, big tick from but me. That my, <laughs> one of my favourite uh, lines from the movie, and it gives you an indication of just how how sparse they are, is is when obviously because Bond is late, turns up late, and then you know, and and Ben's just saying, "Now that we're all here," and Connery's like, like Bond's just like pause as he's taking a seat, going knowing that the rebuke is aimed at him, um, and I I really I really like. I like that, and I think that Roger would have would have would have also relished in that moment. I think that by play with Money Penny, of course, would have would have would have relished. I think that Roger would have been absolutely fine in, in this film, no problem. I doubt he would have necessarily improved it though, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think he would have been absolutely fine in this film. 
it almost made me feel a little bit um if i compared it to another film is potentially something like um i, I think it is a before we before people sort of leap on me i think it is a better film than tomorrow never dies but i see it in a kind of similar vein that there is potentially a good film in there there's just something not quite right together in there and again this is actually a film where i could probably see some of pierce brosnan doing a, a very very good job through this one as well there's there's enough stuff that you can go mm, somebody different working with it could and, and different elements in there could have produced a, a cracker it's not dreadful but it's frustrating uh, how did you feel because the more we've talked about this the more i'm frustrated that i think that there could have been this could have been a film that could have easily been up there with the best but there's one or two choices and there's few elements in there and it just it's not ostensibly bad there's just too many things that aren't quite on a hitting top notes it's it's kind of like watching a, a kind of I don't know, a mid-table Premier League side that you know kind of where it's going and you're just frustrated because if they just invested in a better full-back and holding midfielder and a good striker, they might have a full team. It's like uh, you're saying that Thunderball is a James Bond film that Roy Hodgson would have made. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're saying, Gareth? I I would have loved to see Roy Hodgson with a cameo as M. I think Roy Hodgson would have made a fantastic M. I can't. Can't disagree with that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some of those sequences needed tightening up. They went to an awful lot of trouble to film the underwater sequences and they wanted to make the most of them. And they forgot that actually they wanted, they also needed to make a a watchable film. You made a comparison with Tomorrow Never Dies and I'm not going to argue your point. But what I am going to say about Tomorrow Never Dies is that that movie rattles through with a really nicely. It's got a good pace to it. And 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 it's and it also it's got got a good level of humour going on there as well. Many films about that, that, many aspects of that film that are not enjoyable. But I will watch tomorrow ever tomorrow never dies over Thunderball any day of the week, any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that a hill you are willing to die on? No, 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 no absolutely. I, 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 there are other hills, and that is not one of them. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to go in, into a death match, you know, between Thunderball and, and Tomorrow Never Dies. I will acknowledge. Any argument that says that Thunderball is a better movie, but I, I, I you know, my, my personal preference is that I prefer is that, that Tomorrow Never Dies is, is a more watchable film. And this is because Thunderball is, is slow. It drags out. Also, it's like there's a part in the movie where they're spending an awful lot of time in a helicopter going around islands, like looking for this Vulcan bomber and the, which they eventually find. But the, but the, the sequencing is wrong. I mean, like they do a, they do a wipe, a transition to another scene. And it's the same scene. They're just back. It's like, okay, we can't find it. Let's go home and come back. Cut to new scene. Oh, it's the helicopter. There's the, it's like, okay, so this is you just coming back. I mean, it's like something of a Batman um, thing. I mean, it's just, you know, they might have just, it would have been, you know, more, you know, interesting. But in fact, the, Batman wouldn't have done that. That's just bad sort of like transitioning. It's bad screenwriting, unfortunately. You would have had Alfred in the cave doing it. Yes. Yeah. Master Bruce. Master Bruce. It just it all it just <laughs> gets bogged down because we know where we're going here, but they feel as if they have to sort of like pad it out, frankly, with stuff, you know, until we until we they finally uh, discover the, the bomber and then you know move the the story on. It just it's it it just doesn't it 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 just doesn't move on, you know, in the way as quickly. As, as you know it should be able to do. And there's an awful lot of going back to places. Let's go back to Largo's. Let's go back to the Disco Volante. Let's have another look here. Let's go. And it's like, well, we've actually been here before. And the underwater sequences, and again, I'm not counting the battle sequence, which is absolutely brilliant, but a lot of the underwater sequences, look at all of this cool stuff we can do with the money that we've got now. We can do big underwater sequences, so let's do them. And it's like, yeah, this is great, but it needs to be two minutes shorter. And I don't think that's a modern audience thing. I think that I think maybe a 60s audience is looking at and going, wow, this is amazing. But I wonder how many people like that movie on a second on a second or third watch. I I think what I think what 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 Terry's described there is is that Thunderball is actually like one of those big open world video games that you're not very good at. (laughs) 
it's like playing Grand Theft Auto for the first time and just like wandering around a lot. Basically. Yeah, that is that is exactly what it's like. Um, I, I was feeling that this film is actually, to me, a little bit like. I can imagine if I'd watched it in the sixties and sixty-five when it was released. I imagine I would have probably then formed a few years later the similar opinion that I do of Spectre as a film, which is the first time I watched Spectre. I came out and went, wow, I really enjoyed that. That was quite good. And then I watched it again and went, got a few good bits in it. All of the James Bond films are like that. Every James Bond film you go in and watch, it blows you away in the cinema. You come in there and say, that was brilliant. And then if you go and watch it a second time, you go, oh, that's not so good, or that's a good, or actually, oh, God, that is terrible. And I mean, it was the same with Die Another Day. I mean, I remember Graham and I went to, went to watch Die Another Day uh, 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 together, and we came out and we said it was an absolutely brilliant film. We loved it. We went to the pub afterwards and said how great it was. And then, you know, the next time we saw it, I mean, by the time next Graham and I had a conversation about Die Another Day, our opinions had changed quite drastically on the film. <laughs> but that's what the Bond films are supposed to do. They're created for you to really, even to this day, they're created for you to watch once. You know, and probably because the truth is that the majority of people who watch James Bond films probably do only watch it once. They go to the pictures and see it, and then they're not, you know, they're not obsessive like us who sort of like, you know, hunt it down and record podcasts and try to think about it over and over and over again. And so they can probably get, a, there's a lot they can get away with for the sake of <laughs> theatre and showmanship. And I wouldn't want James Bond films to be to be made to be rewatched 50 times. I really wouldn't because they'd be tedious. You know, there'd be constant, uh, I, you know, I can testify to that with Die Another Day. I can definitely testify to that with Die yeah, Another Day. Yeah, Die Another Day. I mean, really, <laughs> in truth, I mean, I mean, I can't speak for Graham, but I should have known better. That film reeked. But, I mean, I think I got taken away by, by Pierce Brosnan's manly chest as he walked into that hotel in, 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 in where was it, Beijing? I can't remember what, what or was it Hong Kong? Hong Kong, wasn't it? Um, I, I, I guess I think that that whole that first 20 minutes 30 minutes of dying I'm sorry I know we're talking about another movie now but that whole sequence <laughs> the opening 30 45 minutes of dying another day is brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and 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 I and I think I was carrying the memory the sweet memory of that with me when I left the cinema uh, and then when I watched it again I thought my god all of this is awful you wouldn't have been the first or the last person to be distracted at, at some point during Pierce Brosnan's canon. Um, no, but, I'm only human, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flesh and blood. Um, Graham, just as we kind of, yeah, I think we, we've covered a lot in Thunderball, so we'll start kind of starting to, to wrap up a little bit. But um, we've had three cracking Bond films. We've now got one which we've all agreed is not bad, but it, it's it's just a little uneven slow lots of missteps in here um this is an interesting point in in the bond franchise as a whole because it is the point where connery's starting to potentially check out a little bit conversely it's the point when when probably ken adam is hitting his stride better than anybody at, at all in there but do you think this is a, a kind of point where you've gone you've had bond that's gone from strength to strength um and we're now at a point where potentially I don't want to call it ropey bonds because I don't think that Thunderball is is ropey. There's just too many bits that aren't quite right in it. But this is the point where you can suddenly feel mm, we've had three amazing or, or one great film to set it up and then two two amazing films. This is the point where we can start to see, uh, yeah, we can have bad Bond films as well as good Bond films. Or we can have less than good Bond films. I think the numbers speak for themselves, and I suppose that's what really leads the progression of the films that, that, that follow it. You've got to look, the film was made for $9 million and it made over 140 in return. It's, there's, there's no doubt about it. This is an absolute blockbuster of a film. So... The producer would look at that and think, well, what more do we need to put in there? We don't actually need to create good films. We can just <laughs> we can just go with the with the formula and people will turn up. And they did. They did they turned up over and over again. Um it it is strange. It is because you think, okay, when's the next good film after this? And you think, well, okay, well, it's gotta be it's gotta be uh on a magic secret service, isn't it, really? Because you only live twice. Uh, immensely enjoyable, but 
there is is wrong in lots of places is is isn't the best put together film but does everything that right that thunderball does wrong i think for for my money it, it is it that's that's one that 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 manages to hold it together and because it's it's got lots of good bond in it you you will you will you you will forgive it its weak points whereas while this one has got got lots of good bond in it it's just dull so and that's not something you can really say about about you only live twice um and we'll, we'll go on to that in the next podcast i'm sure but uh yeah on a magic secret service a good film dimes are forever absolute toilet of the film <laughs> and and yeah and and i suppose it alternates doesn't it for quite a few films after this doesn't it until of course you get to the two chris wood films which are both yes, indeed, as has been established as has been firmly firmly established there's also some horrific bond in this film as well there is the the the, the um the spa sequences and the uh um coercion of a female member of staff is uh is is just uh very 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 uncomfortable to watch um and i think i don't think that that's the kind of thing where you can transport yourself back to the mid-60s and say oh yeah no it was okay to treat women like that back then that i think is, is one that i think particularly to a if you were showing this film to uh to somebody who'd never seen the james bond film before for that reason alone i think you wouldn't give them something you wouldn't recommend thunderbolt to them um and there's tons of other reasons as well Mm. And it's. Yeah. I, I think we we've come to a nice point. I almost feel that the um, uh, the summing up is obviously, as Graham said, wildly popular film, um, and and a film as well that um, you know, generated an awful lot of money and set the template for what's to come. And yet here we are, sitting, um, discussing how it's perhaps not quite all that, and yet it's still, you know, it, it's it's certainly held in regard. And when you look at the. The audience is from the 60s. I feel that there is a, a wise philosopher by the name of Principal Skinner who uh, who said, maybe maybe it's me. Now I'm out of touch. No, it's everybody. It's everybody who watches a Bond film is wrong. And I'm not wrong at all. <laughs> that's that's how I kind of feel now going through this. And, and it's a shame. I, I want to like this film. I, I, I try and I don't dislike it. I just don't like it very much. I, I'm... I'm neither overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I'm just whelmed by watching this film. A lot of people rate this movie highly. Uh, it, to this day, it's still there are you know Bond aficionados who who who, who rate this movie highly um, because it does bring a lot. It does. It, it, it is the classic James Bond formula. It's got some glorious sequences in it that, particularly in Paris, the Spectre sequence is just it's just gripping. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, and it's it's got all the hallmarks of a classic James Bond movie. It's just a, but yeah, but it, I don't think it's as, as as well put together. And Graham's right. I mean, it, unfortunately, is a little bit of a trend. I think you only live twice, as we will discover in the next podcast, is an improvement on there. But it but it's it still has the same ailments, I think, that come over from from Thunderball. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it makes the mistake of of um of picking up the pace somewhat. I mean, even like for Thunderball, even John Barry's soundtrack is this kind of odd hybrid of his sort of like it Chris File style mid sixties mm. thing that he's got going on, and then that really <laughs> tedious like motif that just going on and on, refrain that goes on all the way through, almost all the way through the movie, and and it's it, it, it even his own even messes up his own 007 theme. I mean, it, it doesn't utilize it properly. I mean, it's just off. This movie's just off. You know, mm. the gun I sights are off. You know. I think there is this one question which uh, <clears throat> I need to put to both of you where we finished off. And it is a question that is raised throughout the film, which I think we need to answer before we finish, which is, of course, Vargas does not drink, does not smoke, does not make love. What do you do, Vargas? What does Vargas do other than getting a harpoon through the chest? <laughs> That is it. That's the only thing he does, and and gets out of his chair so that Bond can yeah. play cards. Well, there was a reason why Vargas didn't reply to that question. It's because he's got he's got nothing. <laughs> he's supposed to be like the henchman of this movie, and he's like completely and utterly nondescript. It's a completely. I mean, he dies well. Is all I can say about that. Let him have a yeah, amusing. Yeah, Vargas death. defines. 
he defines this this film basically <laughs> got nothing to say got nothing to do <laughs> yeah yeah it's just orders around so it's, it, that move move these bombs over here move that little submarine thing over here you know i'm going to try and kill some oh i failed you know it's it's, it's just it's just nothing going it, it, it's 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 it adds to the computer there's a there's a you know, like a blank piece of paper with a, where a lot where a lot of characters were supposed to have been written and it wasn't done which is <laughs> odd because there's lots of characters in this film it's really it's it's, it's really feel and i just it's just like so criminal the also the way that they dealt with adolfo Celli's character i mean i thought largo had had so much so much potential but I mean, he was a really nasty piece of work of which there's nothing wrong. I mean, a really seriously nasty piece of work. And he dies well. I mean, he dies with a, you know, a, a harpoon to the back from his, from his, from, from, from the woman he's abused for years. I mean, it's a good way you, you want to, but I mean, the thing is he is, he's seedy and, 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 and filthy and he's Goldfinger had, was a ruthless enemy, but had bags of charm. And the degree of fallibility. And Largo is just an asshole. Really nasty, nasty piece of work. <laughs> and you do need a bit of charm about it. The best Bond villains have an element of charm about them, something that you can hang them on. I mean, like, you know, I mean, you know, maybe if all the Bond villains were like Largo, we might have a few left Jeff, few less Elon Musks and Jeff Bezos's in the world who clearly grew up <laughs> loving Bond villains, you know. But, you know, because because Largo is awful. And that's another thing is you, you can't get engaged with the villain as well. There has to be an element aspect of the villain which you have to like in order for it mm-hmm. to be a successful James Bond film, in my view. And um, and then and, and there's nothing about about that with Largo at all, sadly. To the point where even he can't even deliver the line rum Collins with the same panache that Gert Frover delivered. Uh, Mint Julep. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, and it was clearly a nod, wasn't it? To, it was an attempt to, but it it just it just back, it just backfired. What a, what a shame! There's nothing quite like what a mid julep at all. And with that, I mean, I think I get the sense, certainly that that both of you, Graham, you are itching to discuss. Um, you only live twice. So at this point, I feel that we should uh, we should bid adieu to Thunderball because we've probably spent more time than the film actually deserves being discussed. How how much, Graham, are you looking forward to You Only Live Twice? Yeah, I, I am looking forward to it. And I know that, that I the this is this is uh, perhaps the opposite of of, of Thunderball. The, because although well, I've I put it down quite 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 a bit, when I rewatched it. I did find that that I was I wasn't disliking it as much as I thought I would. Um, the opposite is generally true of when I watch uh, You Only Live Twice. I look forward to it a lot more than the actual watching it. The actual watching it, I do check out of it a couple of times because there are bits in it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this, this bit in it. Oh, yeah, I don't really like this bit. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I, I think it's going to be great to talk about, and uh, and I I look forward to mm. it. No, no, listen, listeners, it'll be great, honestly. <laughs> and and have it had as Graham has just built that up, Terry. Um, Final word with you. What what are you looking forward to in as a little bit of a teaser? What are you looking forward to when we discuss uh, you only live twice that is not present in Thunderball? Uh, I'm looking forward to the reintroduction of uh, uh, to, to the proper introduction of Blofeld. I think it's a um, but Donald Pleasant's portrayal of Blofeld is an absolute highlight. Um, uh, and I, I mean, just in general, I'm just looking forward to sitting down with you chums and maybe cracking open a, bo- a bottle of Siamese vodka. <laughs> I will happily drink to that. And for me, I just I, I just happily have a well edited film with a good script. It's not too much for a man to ask for, is it, at all? Um, Until then, we will uh, put a harpoon to the back of Thunderball and uh, bid you adieu, fair listeners. We are, of course, on all the usual social platforms. Uh, Please do subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Um, If it allows you to leave a review, please leave a review and say that it's at least more interesting than Thunderball. Uh, We hope we have been in there. And... um, if you haven't watched Thunderball, you probably don't need to. Go to, go back to Goldfinger if you, you're new into Bond and you've suddenly delved into this and thought, I know I'm going to find a James Bond, Bond podcast to listen to before I start going into James Bond. 
and this is the first one you listen to, go back to Goldfinger, go back to From Russia With Love, go ahead to a couple more when we get to uh, to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And just generally, you can, you can skip Thunderball. It's fine. It's not that bad. We won't judge you. Until then, good, dear listeners, uh, we will be back. And uh, hopefully we shall be a bit more awake for the next one because, hey, it does take a, that last sequence does take quite a long time to get through. Certainly, probably longer than my outro here. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.